Blog Talk Radio. Kingway Fox's beard look is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempak's hat, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It's Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, and that means it's time for Trek Talking. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And with me, as usual, are my Trek Spurks, Eric. Eric is out in Las Vegas. I'm sorry, Eric is out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Wow, what a week, Jim. It has been a big one. I am feeling good, though. It is so warm and nice here in Portland right now. It almost feels like summer. Uh, you may or may not every once in a while hear a lawnmower in the background. We'll have to see how it goes. It's live radio, people. Oh, sure. Rub it in. Why don't you rub it in? And we also have... <laughs> We also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Enjoying the crazy week, online and offline. It's about 73 today, and you never know what you might hear passing over ahead of me because I'm not inside today. I finally got to enjoy being outside for the podcast. You guys can just (laughs) stop that right now. Okay, Cause, Jim, because it's it freezing like cold. <laughs> it happens to be freezing cold here. We're expecting snow. Poor Leslie's going to get buried up in Saranac Lake. Uh, oh. we, we're maybe three inches or so we're expecting here. Wow. So, uh, yeah, wow. so camp opens in two weeks, and we're getting a snowstorm. Go figure. But listen, enough of that. It's been a long road getting from there to here, and I'm so excited uh I just want to say sometimes, you know, sometimes to appreciate something, you need to lose it. And when you lose something, uh, that's when you realize how important it is to you, and that's when you fight the hardest to get it back. And when you do get it back, you never want to let it go. And we're back, and we're here, and we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. We're going to be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation, the episode that started it all, Encounter at Farpoint, and the episode that ended it all, all good things. But wait, there's more. Shatner says, what? That's right. Shatner's back in the news again, but this time it might shock you for the reason. We're also going to talk a little bit about Michelle Nichols, Women in Motion. That's going to be a lot of fun, too. Leonard Nimoy has a new documentary out that just came out on Blu-ray called Remembering Leonard Nimoy. We're going to discuss that. And the Enterprise wasn't always named the Enterprise. You'll have to hang out to find out what it was originally called and whatever happened to number one in the cage. That was a story we were going to talk about last week, but we, we just didn't have time with everything else, so we kicked it up to this week. 
uh, Star Trek birthdays around the globe and fan shout-outs. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to be part of the show, please give us a call. We would love to hear from you. We really, really would. I can't express how much we appreciate each and every single one of you and all the wonderful uh, comments of encouragement that we've been getting from you guys. Uh, It's just incredible that this two-way communication works, and we appreciate you. And speaking of appreciating you guys, you can head over to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Trek Talking and beyond. (laughs) Fill that all out. Um, I do want to let you guys know that I'm working on changing that and shortening it up. And the new name might be Trek Talking Podcast. I'm trying to see if I can get that to happen with Facebook. It's easier to say. It's easy to remember. But for the time being, it's the same as it's always been, Trek Talking and beyond. We have over 46,000 followers there, and we'd love to add you to the list. When you go there, give us a like, give us a follow. You'll see the Live Long and Prosper. Tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Trek Talking, that means you're going to be mentioned on a fan shout-out in a future show. So you want to tune in and hear your name. But before we do that, we usually go around the globe with our top countries, and wow, do we have some good ones this week. And for that, we turn to Eric. So, Eric, why don't you start us off with Around the Globe? You bet, Jim. Well, as always, about three-quarters of our listeners come from the United States, where we broadcast from. But in our number one spot, climbing, 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 and setting, that's right, a new international record in the number one international spot, we still have the U.K. with 5.46% of our listeners uh, that is the most international listeners we have ever had from a single country. And we are just ecstatic about the folks from the UK downloading and listening live to our show. Thank you all so much. Uh, it really means a lot to us to see those international numbers going up, up, up. So thank you, folks in the UK. But holding steady in that number two spot uh, is Australia, the folks down under, with 3.94% of our listeners, a very, very respectable number. In our number three international spot, we have our brothers and sisters to the north, Canada, with 3.13% of our listeners. That's up uh, about a tenth from last week, so that's, that's pretty good. Nice to see some, some gaining uh, momentum with our Canadian listeners. Thank you so much. In that number four spot, still up there, the Scandinavian brothers and sisters, 2.39% of our listeners come from Norway. That's right. Thank you so much for being in our top five. And uh, just a few weeks ago, Germany joined us, and they're still in our top five with 1.31% of our listeners. So thank you, one and all, to all of our uh, international and domestic listeners. We seriously appreciate each and every one of you and all of our Facebook followers that have supported us recently. We love every single one of you guys. I wish I could just put my arms around you and give you a big Star Trek hug. A nice big kapla. So as That's far right. as the international numbers go, uh, I just want to say Canada – Canada almost fell right off the list. Spain was threatening Canada for a while to knock them off, but Canada fought back and all the way up into our three spot, and they've been holding steady there. Germany came out of nowhere and knocked off Spain. But the U.K., uh, they set a record with 5%, then they set a record with 5.3%, then they set a record last week with 5.37%, 
and now they set another record with 5.46%. Uh, Every week, they just keep breaking the high record that they set the week before, and that's incredible. That's absolutely awesome. So thank you so much, guys, and, you know, let's keep going. Let's see how high we can get the U.K. Um, wow, that's just absolutely awesome. But listen, we, we do more than just appreciate the countries that, we, that listen to us. We also like to say thank you to our individual fans, and that's where we do fan shout-outs. And I told you guys earlier how you can get a fan shout-out. So let's dive right in, Eric, and start off with this week's fan shout-outs. Oh, I love fan shout-outs, just seeing where all of these folks come from, not just from our top five, but from all over the world. And our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Tina Reese from Karlsruhe, Germany. That's right, one of our top fives. Tina, you must be one of the ones helping push Germany forward and keeping them in the top five. So thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we are so happy that you are, uh, you know, enjoying the time, uh, just kind of chilling, listening to what we do. So thank you, Tina. We're also saying hello and sending out big greetings to Biro Barna Zoltan from Romania. Wow, that's so cool. Romanian listeners, we're saying hello this week as well to Vivian Walker from New Zealand. Just about as far, I think, as you can get from me, I think. It feels like it's on the other side of the planet, and yet we are united through Star Trek. So, Vivian, thank you for carrying the torch for New, Ze New Zealand in my list this week. We're also saying hello and thank you so much for listening to Stacy T. Black from right here uh, in the United States in Fort Myers, Florida. Lots of attack wing players down there in the Florida scene. I don't know if you're into that, Stacy, but uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. And I'm also saying hello this week to Nuri Gisen Martinez Quintero from Mexico. Thank you so much for listening to us, Nuri. Charles, who's on your list this week? Well, let's start off with uh, Janet Patricia Howie from Hamilton, Ontario. And Kenny Guerrero from Winnipeg, Canada. Then we'll go over to Irene Barbosa in south of Brazil. Way down south of us. Boy. That's cool. Margaret Lynch Loman from New Hampshire. Up near Jim. New Hampshire. Oh, and Brenda Day, uh yeah, Pennsylvania. In a different direction of Jim. So that's a good, pretty good group people there. I wonder who Jim's got. Yeah, I've got some some really great ones on uh, on my list. We'd like to say hello and live long and prosper to Mark Adams in Scotland. Thank you for listening. And Morgan Flagg in Ireland. Interesting story. My grandfather's from Ireland. My grandmother's from Scotland. So there's a connection for me. So thanks for listening, guys. Um Stefan Fries from Germany, another another person from Germany. Thank you so so much. Linda Owens from Northern Alaska. Alaska. Have we ever had wow. an Alaskan on the show? I'm not I don't sure. Know. That might Maybe be the first. Not sure. Might be the first. And last but definitely not least, we want to say thank you to James Greenwood from Houston, Texas. Kapla. Thank you to each and every one of you guys for listening. Uh, we definitely, uh, you know, would never think of doing a show without you guys. So thanks for listening. And this is the part of the show that I think is a lot of fun. This is when we do our Star Trek birthdays. And uh, 
We can't do our Star Trek birthdays without singing the birthday song. That was not a Klingon song. You know, he says that every week, and every week I laugh because, well, it is a Klingon song. And so when we do our Star Trek birthdays, we always start off remembering those who are no longer with us in our Star Trek family. And for that, we turn to Eric. So, Eric, who who are we going to remember this week? Yeah, we have uh, quite a few folks uh, who have passed before us this week related to our Star Trek family. Uh, the first remembrance that we're going to send out this week is to Arthur Batanides. Uh He was an actor who played Lieutenant D'Amato in the TOS episode, That Which Survives. Um, he is a blue shirt science officer um, who unfortunately during the episode is killed um, by a projection of that planet's uh, defense system, uh, if you remember that episode. So uh, Arthur Botanides did a great job with Lieutenant D'Amato, unfortunately met an untimely demise, as so many people on Star Trek sometimes do. So happy birthday, Arthur, and uh, we missed you. We're also saying uh, happy birthday and sending out our love and remembrances to Lee Bergier, who played Abraham Lincoln in the TOS episode, The Savage Curtain. Uh, I always thought that one was kind of interesting. Uh, definitely one of those episodes that I saw as a kid over and over at the public library. Uh, and I had just always thought it was hilarious that Abraham Lincoln was in an episode of Star Trek as Abraham Lincoln. So uh, there you go. Uh, we are missing Lee Berger this week. We're also saying happy birthday and sending our remembrances out to Charles Napier. Uh, he played a couple of different roles. He played Adam in the TOS episode, The Way to Eden. And he also played General Rex later uh, in DS9's Little Green Men, one of my personal favorite DS9 episodes. It just kind of makes me smile every time I watch it. Uh, so Charles Napier, uh, spanning the generations of Star Trek. That's pretty cool. Uh, happy birthday to him. Happy birthday and remembrance is going out to Jay Robinson this week, who played Ambassador Petri in the TOS episode Alana of Troyes. Uh, you'll remember that he is the... Uh, the green uh, person, uh, <laughs> the green ambassador, I guess, uh, is one way to describe him. He has kind of that funny white hair. Uh, I think that they call him Lord Petri, if I remember right. And uh, just a, a fun episode, I thought. Uh, so I enjoyed that one. Um, so happy birthday uh, to Jay. Happy birthday this week also to Arlene Martell. Uh, who played T'Pring in TOS episode in the TOS episode Amok Time? And well, if you don't know who that is, uh, you probably recognize a Vulcan name. You know, T'Pring, right? That's definitely a Vulcan name. But Jim, why is this particular Vulcan so significant? Oh, excuse me. What? What? I wasn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I put you on the spot. I was tell- I was asking why T'Pring was such a uh, no, a, specific, a a fun Vulcan from TOS. I, I when you guys are talking, I I use that time to find the next soundbite that we're going to be oh, playing. Okay. So that I'm prepared. <laughs> so I was. I'm sorry. I didn't mean not to pay attention. I well, was trying to go. find the okay. the Star Trek news uh, <laughs> clip that we're going to play next. So that's why I didn't hear you. Yeah, so, well, so right. Tepring, of course, you, you guys know who Tepring is, obviously. 
the Pring is the one that was going to marry Mr. Spock. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she yeah. she chose Captain Kirk to battle Spock to the death. With that great music. Uh, so, yeah. Yep. Uh, happy birthday to Arlene Martell, who, who that's had a great music that we play Pring, on but... Leslie's show, Stunt Tracks, which you guys can listen to on Sunday night at 7 o'clock. So you can tune in uh, for that. Just another great Trek Talking podcast. I love it. There's so many of them. That's right. There's uh, a lot. So we are also sending out happy birthday uh, remembrances this week to Joseph Ruskin, who played the character of Galt in the TOS episode, The Gamesters of Triskelin. You will remember him as uh, Galt the Master uh, uh, Thrall uh, from that episode, the bald guy who kind of looked, uh, you know, sort of evil, had a nice... Nice cape, nice black and red cape. Um, really fun episode. So Joseph Ruskin, great job in that role. Happy birthday to him. Happy birthday and remembrance is going out to Robert Walker Jr., who played Charlie X uh, in the uh, episode Charlie X, uh, which was, of course, a DC Fontana story that, uh, you know, I always wonder, uh, Gary Mitchell versus Charlie X, who would win? I'm not really sure. <laughs> Ooh, that's, but, a, that's a good one. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Walker Jr., great job in that role. And my final remembrance this week uh, for our Star Trek family goes out to Michael and Sara, uh, who was able to play a character that also spanned many generations and was actually a pretty significant, uh, I will say, I'm surprised Jim didn't take this one, but a Klingon, that's right, from both the TOS days and later in life, of course, uh, we are talking about the character of Kang. Uh, Kang showed up uh, in TOS, uh, of course, in Day of the Dove, and then later uh, in the last uh, iteration, pre-discover or pre-Enterprise uh, Voyager flashback, and also in DS9's Blood Oath, probably one of the coolest Klingon episodes ever. So Michael and Sarah playing Kang absolutely essential Klingon to uh, the Star Trek lexicon, and I could not, uh, I could not uh, say more about this guy and how much I wish I had met him before we lost him. So happy birthday to Michael and Sarah and all of the people uh, from our Star Trek family who have gone before us. Now, Charles, we shall move on to the folks who are still with us. So who's on your list this week? Okay. We'll start off with William Sadler, played Luther, Slo- Luther Sloan in the DS9 episodes Inquisition and Extreme Measure. And he was one of the members of Section 31. And our introduction to that hidden, hidden department, sharply. Then we have Joel Gray, who played Caleb in Voyager's episode Resistance. And then comes Jennifer Morrison, who played Winona Kirk in the Star Trek 2009 movie. Then we'll have Ron Perlman who played Raymond Viceroy in the movie, in the Star Trek movie, Nemesis. And this last one was an interesting one in our Facebook. 
because quite a few people mixed him up with Doug Jones. And thinking, oh, that's Doug Jones' character. But no, that's not Doug. Speak that of Bill Irwin, who played Sukal, who looks a little bit like Doug Jones in in makeup. But Sukal, we didn't get to meet until the last three episodes of Discovery Season 3. And several of our fans know the fact that he had some very popular roles they know him from. So he sounds like he's definitely got some fan attention for some of his other work. So I wonder who's on Jim's list. Well, we've got some good ones here. We want to start off with Alicia Coppola, who played Lieutenant Stoddy in the Voyager episode Caretaker. I loved her character. She's the one that piloted um, Tom Paris to the Voyager, and then they promptly killed her. So this is always seems to be my thing. I like a character, they die. So a happy mm-hmm. birthday to Alicia Coppola. Um, John Eves, who, who was an art uh, illustrator for Star Trek for uh, – many, many years, but he's best known for uh, designing and building the uh, first contact Enterprise E, which is awesome. So happy that's birthday cool to shit. John Eve. And we're going to talk about John a little bit later, so that's why it's great that he's in our birthday. So just remember that name. Remember that I told you he'll show up later because he will. And uh, Haley Joel Osment. I see dead people. That's right. That's right. The guy that was from <laughs> the guy from the Sixth Sense was actually in Star Trek. He played Lieutenant O'Connor in the Lower Decks episode Moist Vessel. He's the one that was trying to ascend and made it all up because it was fake, and then ended up really ascending. That was voiced by Haley Joe Osment. So happy birthday! Uh, the next one, uh, people are going to remember her for Star Trek, but I remember her for something else. Uh, Michelle Scarbelli played Lieutenant Jenna DeSora in the TNG episode In Theory. Uh, she fell in love with Data, and there was a whole episode about uh, her and Data dating and having their whole situation. And uh, it was a very good episode, but I happen to remember her from a TV show mm-hmm. in the, in the <laughs> early 90s called Alienation, and she played a George Francisco's wife. Uh, and I loved her on that show. I loved Alienation. I thought it was ahead of its time, and it got canceled way too soon. So happy birthday can I tell you, to Michelle. Scarbett. Can I tell you, Jim, I also knew her from that show, and she was also in another show from the 80s that I was a huge fan of, which was Airwolf. I don't know if you remember that one or not, but the, the helicopter show, yeah. Yep. Yep, she was in that as around. well. And uh, I usually do the Klingons, and I couldn't do Michael Ansonara because he passed away, and that's Eric's. But I do kind of, sort of, have a Klingon who I think mm-hmm. the last, kind of, if you stretch it. Paul <laughs> uh, <laughs> Servino, who played Nikolai Rojenko, who was uh, Worf's human stepbrother in the TNG episode Homeward. So that's kind of a tie to Klingon kind of dish. So uh, happy birthday to Paul. So that wraps up our birthdays for this week, guys. We we had a lot of great ones here, um, and we still have a lot more to talk about. So don't go away. Don't touch the dial. 
because we have Star Trek news, and we got some stuff that you're definitely not going to want to miss out on. So run, don't walk to the bathroom, and don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with Star Trek news. Priority one. After this promo. Trek talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek talking. Boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. We're just about to start our Star Trek news section, and that's where we talk about Star Trek news. But first, we have to have our intro. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show that we had uh, Shatner says, what? He's back in the news, and you might be surprised with why. So, Charles, what's going on with William Shatner? I don't know, but Shatner says, What? <clears throat> William Shatner joins the WWE Hall of Fame. I should have gone to re- gone into wrestling as Captain Kirk. <laughs> no, you Sorry. can't hear my eyes rolling. Um. <clears throat> World Wrestling Entertainment, WWD, has a new Hall of Famer, William Shatner, who took part in the WWE event when he wasn't patrolling the universe as Captain Kirk. (coughs) Called the honor fantastic and showed impressive trash-talking skills when when asked in an interview about the 1995 WWE appearance in which he monkey-slipped WWE Hall of Fame Jerry the King Lawler. Jerry Lawler was nothing, nothing. He was a little bird, posted Chet. <laughs> Asked if he was larger than life, as many WWE stars appeared to be, Shatner at first responded literally, <clears throat> I'm on a diet <clears throat> to correct that, but it doesn't work well, he joked. He then feigned modesty before upshifting to a full-on Tongue-in-cheek, bravo, uh, bravo, as Hall of Famer is entitled. I am not larger than life. I'm life itself, okay? He said that with an energetic vibe at the WWE event similar to Star Trek convention. It's very much the same. The appropriation of the joy, he says, enthusiasm, the wrestling audience showed towards his favorite people is not dissimilar to enthusiasm of the Star Trek fan show. Ain't uh, that the truth? With that, how about point. we move on to Jim and the Glad Awards? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just I, I was shaking my head and rolling my eyes at that one, but I it was Shatner. Well, 
I had. But you know, <laughs> I mean, Shatner came from a from a vaudeville type background, though, right? Like his background before he was on Star Trek was in that old tiny type of thing where you know everybody always overacted just a little bit and everything was kind of overly dramatic. And of course, Captain Kirk's known for the dramatic pauses as he tells us what he's going to do. And so in some ways, the fact that he's got this connection to the WWE does not surprise me in the least. I love it because it's all theater. It's all theater and good for him. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, moving on from Shatner says, what? (laughs) Uh, We're moving on to Star Trek. Discovery wins. Glad award for best drama. In my mm. my best Captain Kirk. <laughs> Your best Shatner there. Nice. Nicely done. My my best Shatner-esque. Uh, the Glad Media Awards are so recognized and honor media for their fair and accurate and inclusive representations of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer LGBTQ. See, I got that right that time, Eric. <laughs> Good Community. job, it, Yeah, I, I did it. <laughs> Uh, issues that affect their lives. Star Trek Discovery went in with one nomination and came away with winning for Outstanding Drama Series. This was the third year the series has been nominated, but the first win. Discovery stars Wilson Cruz, Anthony Rapp, Blue Del Barrio, and Ian Alexander appeared virtually from the set of Season 4 production to accept the award. Rap pointed to how the third season increased the show's LGBTQ representation by saying, we were, we were already really proud of the work we have been doing on Star Trek Discovery in Season 1 and Season 2. But I have to say, in Season 3, our creative team hit it out of the park when they introduced the inclusive, beautiful, moving story of our new crew members, Adira and Gray. And I've got to agree. Um, mm-hmm. If I can interject here, I think that adding, adding those four together as a family unit, which, which they've become, is, I think, one of the greatest things that Star Trek has done. I love all four of them, and I think they make a great um, family, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that family dynamic grow in season four. So congratulations to Star Trek Discovery, and congratulations to those four for making it happen. So, there you have it. Uh, mm-hmm. Charles, what, what else is going on? Well, I'm rather happy Jim gave me this one. This one's got a little bit of importance to me personally. Women in Motion. Michelle Nichols' documentary is coming to Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus announced the feature-length documentary, Women in Motion, will be able to be streamed exclusively on Paramount+, Plus starting Thursday, June 3rd. Women in Motion tells the inspirational true story of how Star Trek's Michelle Nichols worked with NASA to recruit people of color and women in the program starting in the 1970s. Directed by Todd Thompson, Women in Motion chronicles how Michelle transforms her sci-fi television stardom into a real-life science career when in 1977 she embarked on a campaign to bring diversity to NASA. Nicholas formed the company Women in Motion Inc. and recorded more than eight, recruited more than 8 
thousand African Americans, Asians, and Latina women and men for the agency. And I would like to admit to the fact I have seen women in motion. <clears throat> My Star Trek club had a little mini, what we call a way mission. Got together to a friend at one of the members' house, and we rented this from Amazon. And I'll comment on somebody's post on our page on Facebook. They said, there's no way I could love Michelle Nichols any more than I already do. And my reply was, wait till you see in the movie, the documentary, and you will love her even more. She has a fascinating history about what she did with NASA. And they even do some of the interviews she's done and how she actually got into it. Even the story how she got in with NASA is an interesting story. But when you get a chance to see this, you have to see it is well worth the time spent to watch it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Well, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it, too. I mean, I, I actually haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I've seen kind of uh, some trailers from it, and it looks like you get to see footage from her from various different eras and stuff, too, and you get to hear her talk yeah. in her own words about the whole thing. So that, that just seems really cool. Yes, definitely. Well, guys, remember I told you that we'd be hearing a little bit about John Eves on his birthday, that he'd be back? Well, I promise, and here it is. Veteran Star Trek illustrator John Eves honored with Lifetime Achievement Award by the Art Directors Guild. This is pretty cool. Art Directors Guild announced John Eves will receive the Lifetime Achievement Award for the illustrations and Matt Artist of the 25th Annual ADG Awards. The award will be presented by him, veteran Star Trek production designer Herman Zimmerman. Eves' first contact with the Star Trek franchise with his uncredited work as a model maker for Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, in 1989. Following that, he joined the Star Trek Deep Space Nine art department as production illustrator. He also worked on three of the TNG-era feature films, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. Perhaps his most notable contribution to these films was the design of the USS Enterprise-E, introduced in First Contact. He also went on to work as a concept artist for Star Trek Enterprise. Eves was one of the few people who made the transition to the J.J. Abrams-produced feature films. He worked as a concept illustrator for the 2009 Star Trek film and an illustrator for Star Trek 2013 Into Darkness and as a concept artist for the 2016 Star Trek Beyond. He then joined the new Star Trek universe on television shows as a concept artist for both Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. So that's a pretty impressive um, resume right there for John Eves, and congratulations. Uh, The fact that he's the one that designed the Enterprise E, wow. That's such a cool ship. I remember the first time I I saw First Contact and saw that ship, and it was just like that thing looks – it, it, it looks like a worthy successor because it's not like totally the family ship, so it's a little sleeker, uh, but it still is big. You know, it's still a big ship and has a really nice line to it. I love that. And, you know, he deserves this lifetime achievement when you look at all these things stacked up over, you know, 
30 years of Star Trek. It's amazing. And, and uh, I only listed his Star Trek credentials, but he's worked on a lot of other stuff as well. But he, he deserves mm-hmm. it. So congratulations. And Eric, speaking of the Enterprise E, uh, you've got an interesting story for us. Yeah, I've got one that actually might be a nice little piece of trivia for your Star Trek friends, and you can tell them you learned it here on our podcast. The Enterprise originally had a totally different name. That's right. The original name for the series Starship was, drumroll please, the Yorktown, which admittedly doesn't sound quite as catchy, but the original and eventual name for Star Trek's name ship is a bit of American history, though this hasn't made Yorktown a major player in the series canon. This reflected Roddenberry's literary and historical interests as the ship, like the Enterprise itself, was named after a historical craft. The real-life Yorktown was a World War II-era aircraft carrier that was named after the last battle of the Revolutionary War and ironically shared its class with the real-life Enterprise. Roddenberry eventually went with the iconic Enterprise name of his own volition and not for any outside reason. This was due to his fascination with the real-life Enterprise and desire to use the name in honor of it. Though this robbed Yorktown of the chance to have its name used as one of the most iconic science fiction spaceships of all time. Now, another starship named the NCC-1717 Yorktown was eventually introduced into the original series, being mentioned in the second season when it was planned to meet up with the Enterprise. A successor to this ship was featured in Star Trek The Next Generation with a registration number of NCC-61137. The biggest role in the series was the entirely different starbase Yorktown in Star Trek Beyond. As its name would suggest, this Yorktown wasn't a ship, but an utterly massive space station that hosted millions of people from various species throughout the galaxy. Roddenberry also suggested that the new Enterprise, seen beginning with the end of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, was originally named Yorktown. So there you go. There's a little bit of starship name history for you. I always thought it was interesting that there were two uh, other Yorktowns uh, that I knew of, but I don't think I knew before this article that uh, that the Enterprise was originally going to be named the Yorktown. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, and if you if you are interested in checking that out, uh, I, I highly recommend that you guys check out the the movie Midway because the Enterprise and the Yorktown are both featured very heavily in that movie. The Yorktown uh, gets destroyed, uh, but stays mm-hmm. afloat. And uh, the Enterprise, the ships that launch from the Enterprise, actually save the day. So check that movie out. It's awesome. And you can see the real-life history, American history, behind the Yorktown and the Enterprise. So that's pretty cool, I thought. So mm-hmm. speaking of uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which, as many of you people might know, I happen to enjoy. It's one of my favorite go-to Star Trek movies because it's just so light, airy, fluffy, and fun. There's really no deep, deep, you know, saving the universe, saving the world, anything. It's just a fun, let's-go-camping type of movie. I love it. Um, So why does Sean Connery turn down the role of Cybok in Star Trek V? Interesting. I know you've always asked yourself that question, right? you probably didn't even know that they offered it to Sean Connery. Well, Star Trek fans may not know that the late Sean Connery was offered a role in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. 
which he ultimately turned down in favor of, drumroll, Eric. Henry Jones Sr. in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, before we go any further, just imagine how different things would be if Sean Connery was in Star Trek V and Lawrence Luckenbill was in Indiana Jones. Just let that run through your head and let that sink in a little bit. Uh, Connery is best known for playing the original version of James Bond in the Bond film series, a role that he occupied over the course of seven movies from 1962 to 1983. Um, Yeah, I remember him as James Bond, actually, very vividly. Uh, Besides Bond, Connery is considered a veteran actor of stage and screen with a career that encompassed a wide variety of films like Alfred Hitchcock's The Marine, The Hunt for Red October, and Indiana Jones. And let's not forget that... um, he was also in a movie where it's not losing your head over. Right, Charles? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. There, there can be definitely only one. Islander. Yeah, that was another good one. Um, Connery was arguably at the height of his career when in 1988 he was approached about being involved with the fifth film in the Star Trek franchise, Star Trek V. The Final Frontier was released in 1989 and ended up being a critical and commercial failure. But during the production progress, co-writer and director William Shatner had high hopes for the film. One of these hopes was attaining Sean Connery to portray Cybot. Connery was Shatner's first choice for the role. Besides being a fan, Shatner thought that Connery's presence in the film would drum up a higher box office overseas, mainly because of his actor's Scottish heritage and his worldwide fame as Bond. They eventually set, settled on Lawrence Luckenbill. While not a big name like Connery, Luckenbill delivered a dynamic performance as Steinbach. I, I agree. I, I when I think about Steinbach as Sean Connery, just imagine how that would have changed that whole role. You know. Yeah, it's, well, it's interesting because I feel like Lawrence Luckenbill did a pretty darn good job with um, with granted a script whose lines are a little hard to deliver I think at times and I think that Sean Connery would have almost brought too much gravitas to the role because the movie's not about Cybok right uh, and if the movie was about I mean it, it's like he's in it but it's not about him it's about the quest it's about what they're going after um, and I feel like maybe Sean Connery's presence may have you know, detracted a little bit from the the story that we do get. I mean, I know a lot of people kind of knock on the movie, and I agree, with Jim. I think the movie has its it definitely has its strong points, um, much of which is the stuff that does happen on Earth and whatnot. But it is a fun romp, and you know, may have just been too much gravitas to have Sean Connery in there. I don't know. I like the one we got. Yeah, I don't mind Lawrence looking Bill as Cybox at all. It's just funny to think that that Sean Connery and Leonard Nimoy would, would have been brothers in a Star Trek movie. Stepbrothers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Eric, we have another interesting story that tied into last week's show that I had to bump up to this week. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, this one's really cool. This is about one of my 
new favorite characters and old favorite characters. Uh, this particular article is about our old favorite character, why number one was cut from TOS and what her return actually means. Number one was cut from Star Trek through the original series after the first pilot, but the character is set to make a redeeming comeback in Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The original pilot episode for TOS, subsequently dubbed The Cage, had an almost entirely different cast from the original one that would come to make up the show. The Cage featured Christopher Pike as the captain of the Enterprise, with a crew that included Pike's female first officer, Number One. Number One was the first of several Star Trek roles played by Major Barrett, who would later become Major Barrett Roddenberry. The character description described her as mysterious and possessing an icy facade with an extremely efficient work ethic and knowledge of the crew and vessel surpassing that even of the captains. So there you go. She's actually the brains of the operation. Uh, NBC rejected the pilot and cited number one as one of the changes they wished Roddenberry to make to the show. Boo, NBC, boo. Gene Roddenberry <laughs> asserted that he had been told the idea of a female first officer wouldn't play well with audiences of the time. This is something that was apparently born out of early audience tests of the cage, with female audience members responding more negatively to number one than male audience members in a surprising twist. Many of her characteristics ended up being given to the character of Spock, the only holdover character from the original pilot. But of course, uh, we get a different Spock between the cage and the rest of the series. Number one has recently been given a chance at redemption after making appearances in Star Trek Discovery and Short Treks she is slated to appear as part of the main cast in the upcoming Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now played by Rebecca, Rebecca Romaine, Strange New Worlds will give fans a chance to find out what number one could have become if she had been allowed to remain in Star Trek The Original Series. And her return arguably acts as a tribute to Major Barrett Roddenberry and her legacy. Ultimately, number one's upcoming return signals exciting things for the Star Trek franchise, and I know that you two agree with me that every single time we have seen the three of those uh, folks, uh, Pike Spock and number one in the same room at the same time, bouncing ideas off each other, it has been magic. And I cannot wait for Strange yeah. Worlds. I'm so Boy, pumped for it. It's interesting that I've heard a different story in there, too, that a second reason number one was taken out was it wasn't just being female. The studio felt that she was too close to Roddenberry at the time as well, yeah. which eventually she did, but that they didn't want her so closely tied in as a major character when she had too much of a relationship going on with Roddenberry. And I didn't want a perception of favor, you know, toward her based yeah. on the fact that she and Roddenberry had a uh, interest yeah. in one another. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you should mention that because another actress, another character that was uh, put in TOS was uh, a character by the name of Yeoman Rand. And Yeoman Rand, it was rumored at the time, was involved with Gene Roddenberry as well. And her character was written out of the show and then Major Barrett's character of Nurse Chapel was written into the show and some people cite that as the reason because she was involved at that time with, with Gene Roddenberry and so they figured well we've got to get rid of her 
and they brought in someone else, and they brought in Major Barrett, who, oddly enough, would end up marrying Gene Roddenberry later on. So it's funny how the worm turns sometimes. You never can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but, uh, I mean, speaking speaking of Yeoman Rand, uh, well, not to get too deep in the weeds, but you guys uh, saw the article this week. I don't think we're going to talk about it here, about uh, somebody who wants a Star Trek role that is uh, famous for being awesome and blonde in many science fiction things. Do you know who yeah, I speak? Yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to get to that article on that a later? future podcast. Future podcast. Not, not in this awesome. show, but it'll Understand. be in a it, – it, It'll be in a future one. Don't you worry. It, it, it'll be consider there. Consider that your teaser. Um, yes, consider that your teaser. I put that up just for you when I saw that, by the way. That was awesome. Oh, I, I fell in love with it immediately. <laughs> Our phone number here, guys, is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to join in our conversation or share your thoughts on anything that we're talking about, give us a call, 646-668-2433. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys. No matter where you are, give us. We'll get you right on the air. Six four six 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 eight two four three three. So let's see. Uh, <laughs> okay. So that that story was actually going to be in our last show where we actually talked about the cage, but then Star Trek First Contact Day happened, and that that threw everything off kilter. So uh, we had to bump a lot of the stories from that show to this one, which is why we were talking about the new name of the Enterprise and, you know, and Major Barrett's character, because those, those all tied into the theme of last week's show. So that's why. Um, we, we still have some great stuff uh, coming up to talk about. Um, so, you know, don't go away. But, uh, yeah. So I don't know what to do here. Yeah, so as Eric said, one of the things about about number one was that they moved a lot of her characteristics over to Mr. Spock. Uh, oddly enough, uh, the studio didn't like Mr. Spock and wanted him gone because he was he reminded people of the devil, and they thought he looked too evil with the pointed ears. And in fact, a lot of the early promos for Star Trek, they airbrushed his ears so that they weren't quite as pointy as they would we know normally be and uh, Roddenberry put his foot down and said absolutely not and he fought tooth and nail to keep Mr. Spock and he won and he took a lot of the characteristics of number one and moved him over to Mr. Spock and that's why I think it's going to be really interesting to see in Strange New Worlds how number one and Mr. Spock play off of each other we saw a little bit of it in Short Trek actually but seeing how both of those characters are from the same nucleus, it'll be fun to see how they play off of each other. I'm really looking for, and I love Anson Mount anyways. So, uh, and before we run out of time, I just wanted to say there's an article that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about, but one of the actors, uh, one of the guest actors on Strange New Worlds, which films up in Toronto, uh, tested positive for COVID. And uh, mm. so they shut down production of the show for two weeks but uh they're still going to continue filming and they still have they have different pods set up so they're going to keep on moving and they say that it shouldn't affect uh the production or the or their time frame uh too severely so that's pretty cool so listen guys we have to take another quick commercial break but when we come back 
Uh, you may have heard that uh, Las Vegas Star Trek convention might have a new home. I don't know. When we come back, we're going to hear all about it from Charles. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this very awesome, very important message, if I can find it, from my buddy at Precopolis Geekery. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. And one of the cool things is that we're, we're going to be able to get back to live in-store gaming at Freakopolis Geekery next month. I'm so psyched to get Alliance on the table and get together with all my friends that played Attack Wing and take on the Evil Dominion. It's going to be so much fun. Anyways, we're back, guys. The number here is 646-668-2433. And Charles is about to tell us, a new Star Trek convention that might be coming to your town. Take it away, Charles. Okay. Well, there's a new convention in town. New official Star Trek convention is coming to Chicago in 2022. From New York Comic Con organizer Reed Pop. Star Trek convention goers who've been waiting for the announcement of a new official convention, your wait is over. Star Trek Missions is the name of the new Star Trek convention being hosted by a mega convention organizer, Reed Pop, and coming to Chicago next April. For the last few years, the only remaining official convention of the United States was the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, held annually in August at the Rio All-Star all Suites Hotel in Las Vegas. But after multiple delays last year due to COVID, Creation Entertainment, the organizers at that convention, announced that they will be going ahead with their event in 2021. It will no longer be an official Star Trek convention. Star Trek Mission Chicago, which, yes, implies there will be more missions in the future, runs for three days. April 8th to uh, 10th, 2022. It'll take place at McCormick Place Convention Center in Chicago. And no, you can't buy tickets yet. Ticket information is coming soon, according to their website. But you can sign up for their newsletter now at StarTrekMission.com. As of Star Trek First Contact Day, they're only... Guest star had been Will Wheaton, which was the official first star. Now, Star Trek Las Vegas is still doing 
uh, a an episode, a, a one called 55-Year Mission or something like that. I forgot the title of it. Here in Vegas doing their convention. <clears throat> but many of us are very happy the fact that because of Viacom, <clears throat> the creation's, uh, creation's official tie to Star Trek has been severed. So that we have a new host for the Star Trek convention. There have been some small conventions here and there. But Star Trek Las Vegas has been the big one for many years. Well, I personally think think that it's a great idea that they do this because I think that moving the convention around the country from city to city each year gets a lot more fans the opportunity to attend the convention and just makes, makes it more popular by getting more people involved rather than holding it in the same uh, venue every single year. And I I was thinking about going to this, but it's a 10 hour drive from here. So I think it's a little bit far for me, but maybe they'll do it in New York city. Who knows? Possible. They do New York city comic con down there. So anyways, our next, our next story is one that I put in just for Eric. And before we get to the story, I have a really cool sound bite to play for you guys. That was the last birthday to my dad, Leonard Nimoy. I used to major in career and minor in family, and now I've turned it around. Being head of the family, I think it really was his greatest role. Dad and I had a great relationship. We were very close. He was basically a superhero. I never thought anything could really hurt the guy. We all started to realize something is really wrong. I got a phone call from Dad saying, don't be alarmed, don't be scared. That exposure by a paparazzi taking his picture in a wheelchair with his oxygen. Leonard was outed. People started calling me going, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, to hear about your grandfather. He just emailed me and said, everything's fine, I have COPD. That's the first time I ever heard those letters. About 30 million people in the United States have it. It'll be the third leading cause of death worldwide very soon. I didn't know that people can actually die of COPD. Leonard had pretty severe COPD. He was working, even at rest to breathe. Leonard was a very private person. There was the father, husband, grandfather, and there was the Leonard Nimoy actor, celebrity, director. He kept the two very separate. I said, this is a golden opportunity. You have to own it. You can't be ashamed when you have physical challenges. It helps to give people courage to face it. I quit a long time ago. Why is this happening to me? I damaged lung cells many years ago, and then as age begins to damage lung cells as well, you begin to feel it. It takes a lot of courage to go up and admit that you're sick. It was a relief to have a name put to what he had. I wasn't scared because I still had this hope. I have always felt that Dad would always be here with us. That's a tough one to follow, but take it away. 
Well, it's a great story, and I I love I think what we're going to learn by uh, watching this. If you haven't seen this documentary before, but uh, the Remembering Leonard Niboy documentary is now available on Blu-ray, which I'm pretty excited about. I think I'll pick up a copy for myself. The documentary Remembering Leonard Nimoy is being released this week on Blu-ray. Remembering Leonard Nimoy is a loving and very personal tribute to the life and career of the late Star Trek actor Leonard Nimoy. Produced and directed by his daughter Julie and son-in-law David Knight, the film reveals stories from his childhood growing up in Boston in the 1930s and 1940s, anecdotes from his early career in Hollywood, and a snapshot of Nimoy's big breakout role as Spock. It also shows how he helped raise awareness for the lung disease that eventually took his life, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. The documentary was released in 2017, but has not been available on Blu-ray until this week. The Blu-ray has extra bonus features that weren't on the DVD, including Leonard's Family Slideshow and Leonard's Trivia Quiz. Remembering Leonard Nimoy is available to stream on Amazon Prime Video and Hoopla Digital via your local library. The doc is available on video on demand via iTunes and is also still airing on some PBS stations. And in fact, uh, there's a really great page even on the CDC's website uh, about smoking uh, that is all about Leonard and his story and, um, you know, what an advocate he became uh, helping people understand the disease that he had that he eventually died from. So, um There's so much to dig into about this guy. I love that promo you played, Jim. It really gives you a good idea of what we're in store for. So I'm very excited this is being released on Blu-ray myself. It's it's definitely going to be something you want to check out. Now, as I promised, we're going to talk about Star Trek, uh, the Next Generation pilot episode, Encounter at Farpoint. And, of course, before we do that, we've got to have a promo. Tonight, the 24th century begins. Welcome to the Enterprise. In a special world premiere movie, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Ready for departure, sir. Engage. 78 years have passed since the days of the original USS Enterprise. Now a new galaxy starship has been designed with a new team of highly skilled Federation explorers. Starfleet Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Commander Riker, Executive Officer, Chief Medical Officer Crusher, and her brilliant son, Wesley, Lieutenant Commander Data, an android, the telepathic Troy, Geordi, a man with unique vision, Security Officer Yar, and Klingon Officer Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their first mission, investigate a new star base on planet Deneb 4. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. A hostile alien threatens the crew. Now go back, or thou shalt most certainly die. But they're determined to finish their mission. Our mass program torpedoes. Place them on ready status. Hostile is now beginning to overtake us, sir. Together, they stand trial before a merciless court. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Now, they have 24 hours to uncover the secrets of a strange world. They're firing on far points, sir. The classic legend begins an all-new adventure. Let's see what's out there. Star Trek, The Next Generation. Boy, that brings back memories for me, that's for sure. Um, so yeah. Counter Farpoint, uh-huh. I, I remember the excitement over that. Uh, it got a full-length uh, pi- uh, promo, which you heard right there. 
which a lot of the other Star Treks didn't get, but but they put a lot into promoting the next generation, including a full minute and a half promo, which we just heard. Um, it, wow, I was I was so uh, pulled right in, and I, I had to watch it uh, several times. Matter of fact. Uh, so, Encounter of Farpoint is the pilot episode and series premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation, which premiered in syndication, oh my God, I feel old, on September 28, 1987. Wow. Uh, it was written by D.C. Fontana and Gene Roddenberry and directed by Corey Allen. It was originally aired as a two-hour TV movie, and subsequent reruns typically split the episode into two parts. DeForest Kelly agreed to appear in a cameo role in the pilot, but as a gesture to Roddenberry, he refused to be paid more than minimum possible salary. The show made its <laughs> debut in syndication to mixed critical response. New actors were hired for the pilot, which in some cases required the character concepts to be redeveloped to better fit the actors. Marina Sirtis and Denise Crosby were hired for the roles of Machia Hernandez, and Deanna Troy, respectively, but were later switched by Roddenberry, and Crosby's new role was renamed to Tasha Yar. All four major networks turned down the new Star Trek series, as they were not willing to commit to a 26-hour first season. With the guaranteed unchanging time slot, as well as a promotional campaign for the show, the team proceeded with the project with the backing of Paramount. The original premise involved the Enterprise and the USS Star Seeker approaching an alien life form captured by a race called the Enoli and turned into a weapon. After the Enoli told Starfleet ships to surrender, the Star Seeker opened fire and was destroyed. While Troy contacted the aliens and convinced it to crash on a nearby planet so that the Enterprise can help it free itself. The plot involving Q was added subsequently to the episode in order to make it longer. Roddenberry was aiming for an hour-long pilot, but Paramount wanted a two-hour show and eventually went out. Other items were also added in order to lengthen the episode, including the saucer separation sequence and the appearance of Admiral Leonard McCoy. The show was broadcast on 98 independent stations and 112 network affiliates. The stations which were broadcasting Encounter at Farpoint gained the highest ratings in the four major networks during the prime time. Overall, it aired to an annual audience of 27 million. The show was immediately called the highest rated syndicated one-hour drama series on television. Jill L. Lanford watched the episode for the Herald Journal. She thought it was a resurrection of the legend. She believed that the episode itself was reminiscent of classic Star Trek episodes The Arena and Squire Ogasso's was the perfect vehicle to introduce the crew and the perfect start. Don Merrill writes the TV Guide said that the show was a worthy successor to the original. Tom Shales of the Washington Post viewed DeForest Kelly's cameo as touching, but thought that Patrick Stewart was a grim, bald crank who made a better villain. He also felt Jonathan Frakes verges on Namby Pamby. In 2020, Vulture recommended this one of the top 14 Star Treks to watch, along with Star Trek Picard, noting that it introduces the Enterprise 1701D, Picard, Data, and many other characters. Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say 
about Encounter at Farpoint. Well, Stuart Lamborn said at the time he gave it a 10, but now in comparison with what came after, it's a 4. It just shows how amazing it keeps getting better and better. I assume he means Star Trek there. So that's, that's an interesting outlook. I do think my outlook on this episode has also changed with time. Bram Ikma said, I absolutely adore TNG, but I'll skip this one and most of seasons one and two on rewatches. I'll give it a five. Martin Etheridge said, 10, simply because I feel that it was a good intro to the new characters and had a feel-good ending. Surely there were better episodes later, but Encounter holds a special place in my heart. Royden Beach said, 10, I loved any episode. Susan Sidor said, 7. Michael Judge gave it a 7. Barbara Montgomery McKeel gave it a 10. And Anthony Kloppenborg gave it an 8. And if you average out our fan scores for this week, it averages out to about a 7.6. So there not you go. Not too shabby. It's not too shabby. You know, as pilots go, uh, I think the fans are generally saying that they liked it. Um, that maybe there were a couple things that they wish were different, but, you know, pretty much everybody here is saying that it was a great intro to the characters. And I'd have to agree. I think they did a very nice job of introducing all the characters. There are so many scenes in Encounter at Farpoint that I think um, give you a flavor for who the character is, even though they're not actually able to spend too much time on them. I mean, obvious ones are, uh, you know, like Data, and that sort of thing. But even Wesley Crusher, uh, they do a good job of introducing the concept of families being on this ship and using Wesley Crusher as this kind of tension point between Beverly and, of course, Picard, based on their connection through Jack Crusher, Wesley's dad. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say, when I go back and I rewatch this one, and I don't know if it's just because of where Worf eventually ends up in the series, but I almost feel like Worf is given all the good lines that have to do with security at first, and then Tasha kind of agrees to them later. And I thought that was kind of interesting, given that they, they had made this very deliberate move to make her the security officer and not Worf. Often Worf is the one who's kind of, of course, charging in, wanting to fight right away, and then Tasha's like, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with the Klingon. Let's go kick their butts. <laughs> so uh, an, interesting, an interesting character introduction to her. But uh, I got to tell you guys, I, I think I like this episode the more it goes by. I think when I first watched it, um, I, was, I remember being completely – I remember exactly the night that it came out and watching it for the first time. First of all, I was completely blown away, even with the opening credits the visuals compared to, you know, all the Star Trek that we had gotten before. Now, granted, we had movies at that time, so we had, you know, had cinematic uh, sort of stuff. But it was almost like bringing cinema to TV. You know, those opening credits are great with uh, the Enterprise flying by. And I like how they, of course, changed the credits over the years. Um, and, and then I really dug, I think, at the very beginning, the fact that they had put this uh, – I'll say psychic for lack of a better term, but Deanna Troy putting her on the bridge and her having such a big role in the encounter at Farpoint in being able to sense that something wasn't right down on the planet. I feel like had the Enterprise shown up to Denim 4 and not had Counselor Troy on board, they may not have identified what the issue was here and the, the whole story may have been a completely different, uh, a completely different ending. So, yeah, love that. And, and, you know, Q, 
I mean, what can we say about Q? Isn't it funny watching both these episodes? And I feel like we'll come back around to this discussion, but just collecting up the beginning and the end of Q from TNG and then relating that to what may be coming in Picard. Um, very excited about that and kind of seeing connections there that I've never seen before, given that I just rewatched these today. I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I've seen these episodes a million times, but let's rewatch them both today. And having Picard in my mind and what's coming, I kind of had a different outlook, which was really fun. And I'll uh-huh. just tell you one more yeah. thing, and, I'll, and then I'll let Charles have a turn because I know I'm talking a lot, but I will say that the best and most exciting and thrilling part of this episode for me has always been the very first saucer separation we ever got to see. I love the scene when it said they, they make this decision. I remember watching it and then even them saying, prepare for saucer separation. And I was like, what did he just say? What are, what are they going to do? They're going to split the ship in half? And then they do it, and it's such a cool visual. I love the way it's shot, the way the model comes apart, and the way it looks on screen. It's just so cool. And then, of course, that became a thing that they repeated many times, um, you know, even into the Kelvin universe because, I mean, it's so cool. How can you not have a saucer separation? <laughs> but, Charles, I want to give you a chance to talk about how awesome this episode is. Well, we're going to bump Charles because we only have a couple of minutes here. So I'm going to jump in, and then we're going to hear from Charles at the beginning of our, of our next break. Uh, I, I want to say I agree with everything you said. I really love the fact that they used the motion picture theme song. That got me right from the get-go. Um, mm-hmm. so when the Enterprise flies by in the opening credits and we see somebody walking by the window, that always blew my mind. I mean that the, the the attention to detail that you see a crew member walking by the window just always amazed me. The DeForest Kelly scene with with Data, if that yeah, didn't so good. get you, I, I I don't know what it would take because that even today that's one of my most favorite scenes in Star Trek. Even today is is McCoy visiting the Enterprise um, and talking <laughs> with Data about Vulcans. Um, yeah, I love that. Gene Roddenberry uh, was heavily involved in season one, and this episode in particular. And if you pay attention, you can see a lot of similarities between this episode and Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, particularly, you'll see a lot of women in this one wearing miniskirts. Deanna Troy was forced to wear a miniskirt in season one. Uh, you see a lot of people in miniskirts uh, female characters and even a male character uh, roaming the hallways of the Enterprise, which you know is a throwback to TOS. Um, I did Deanna Troy. I I feel was um, was wasted. I think it took them a while to figure out how to use that character because she always stated the obvious, like a Klingon cloak, a shifty cloaks, and she says, "I sense hostility." Uh, they're Klingons. They just aren't cloaked. I mean, you know, they're not here to give us roses. But um, her, her character improved dramatically as as the series went on, as they figured out where to put her. The Worf character, I, I think they just kind of put Worf there as a gimmick. I don't think they were prepared for the popularity of that character. He was always just kind of floating around in the background here and there. And I think that Denise Crosby asking to leave the show, um, you know, that gave them the opportunity to really make Worf into something special. 
and, and which they did. But I always thought that the Warf Tasha dynamic was pretty cool. I remember an episode, I don't remember the name of it, where they were going to play Parisi Squares, and Tasha Yar and Warf and two other crew members whose names aren't mentioned are leaving, and they run into Oryker in the hallway, and Warf says, we will crush the enemy. And I'm just, just it's like, okay, you, you go crush them, Warf. It's just a game. So that's yeah, war. I, I thoroughly, that's war. I, I loved this episode just for what it was, brought Star Trek back. It made Star Trek viable again, and it showed people that Star Trek doesn't have to have people in rubber suits and styrofoam rocks. That Star Trek can compete with Star Wars. It can be visually satisfying and still be Star Trek. So I, I'm with the fans. I, I, you know, I would give this one a nine. Definitely a nine all the way. So, listen, guys, we have to take another commercial break. Um, but when we come back, uh, we're going to hear from Charles. And I just didn't want to have to cut Charles off uh, mid-sentence because I have the clock in front of me and saw that we only had three minutes till the next break. So when we come back, Charles will have as much time as he wants to talk about Encounter at Firepoint. But um, don't touch your dial. Run, don't walk to the bathroom. We'll be right back after this very intriguing message. The true final frontier is time. Time can turn even our most impulsive, our most ill-considered actions into history. What we do in a crisis often weighs upon us less heavily than what we wish we had done. What could have been. Time offers so many opportunities, but never second chances. Charles, that's some pretty tough shoes to follow. So what do you got to say? Well, one of my first lines I was going to come up with, somebody already started to comment on it, and that was the fact that I've always heard the comments about Deanna Troy and her short uniform. Well, I thought it interesting that Picard is seen in engineering. And we see two other crew members in these short, short outfits. Now, it's that interesting that one, both were engineer, one was male and one was female. Speaking maybe almost like a kilt on the male. So we always talk about Diana and her short, short outfit. And yet it wasn't just her. There were other crew members that were wearing it. Looking at the credits on this one, I thought it interesting that D.C. Fontana was not only writer in this, but she was, I think, tagged as, I think, as associate producer mm-hmm. in the series, which was good to see the fact that she had a leading role right away with Star Trek. We get a lot of interesting connections 
<clears throat> with this episode. This one, I think it's, they did a great job of really introducing characters to it. Oh, we get our counselor. And then we get to finally meet our number one. And oh, gee, Riker and Troy have had previous relationships. They know each other. We get the captain and Beverly Crusher and realize, oh, they've got a bit of a connection with each other. In fact, I had forgotten about the long, com- the big conversation that he has with her in medical. Well, you don't have to stay on the ship if you don't want to. And she's like, I wanted to be here. I yeah, requested this position. <laughs> oh, I've forgotten about that where she was trying to give her out and she's like, No, I want to be here. We get to see a little bit of Wesley. And we get a bit of the Wesley as the captain gets kinda of hiding over there and the captain realizes why I'm seeing Wesley since he's a little kid. And all you can come in and sit in the captain's chair. And he tries to tell him what some of the things are. And all of a sudden, Wesley's sitting there saying this stuff. And it's like, okay, Wesley's just not some kid. This kid's smart. He's taking time to study starship design. He knows his starship. And we get definitely a very rounded discovery on it. Deanna is used for emotion. She admits the fact she's half Betazoid. That her father was a Starfleet officer. And the fact that you get a lot of connections of a lot of early a little a lot of good tie ins to start understanding who the characters are. You get a good basis and we can start building the characters. And a lot of the characters were did get a lot of building upon. We get to see Data and Riker and Data kinda whistling along. And it's like, Oh, okay, Data's an innocent character. And then of course his interaction with McCoy. And we get it's like, Oh, okay, McCoy kinda compares him to a Vulcan. And I just like how they define the characters right away. You know, Charles, this episode also also introduces the most important person to ever exist in all of Starfleet, according to Lower Deck. Yes. <laughs> Who else do we get in this yes, episode? Yes, definitely. O'Brien shows up. Oh, yep. also the fact that we also get a battle bridge. Yeah. We're always used to having just one bridge, and all of a sudden they're doing a separate. They're doing a separation of saucer, and we get a battle bridge. It's like, wow, we've got a second bridge on there that we never knew about. And O'Brien's wearing red. A, yep. Yep, so that's I'm right. With Charles, I'm... With, 
I'm left with a a one big question, and these are these are tongue in cheek questions, but one big question and one favorite co- uh, quote. My my one big question is why in the world is Beverly buying fabric, and why does she have an entire bolt of fabric sent up to the ship? We never see her doing any sewing throughout the whole rest of the series, but apparently she does enough that she buys a whole bolt of fabric down on the planet. Well, maybe she got, maybe they got time where they relax and they can make clothes, or maybe she's doing decor, maybe she's doing decorative to her court new quarters. It would be fun if they sort of reference back to that at some point. And then my absolute favorite yeah. quote from this episode is when Data says, "Sorry, sir, I seem to be commenting on everything." <laughs> it's towards the end. Yeah, and he gets told, "Keep doing it." <laughs> I love that episode. Well, we, even, quote. we even got we even got to learn that Jordy has been blind since birth and doesn't want to go through doesn't want to take the drugs that's gonna help him, doesn't want to take the surgery that's going to be difficult and hard. So we get the fact that right away, okay, we've got somebody who with a disability on there and it's accepted. Lives with pain so, every day. Uh, so, Charles, what would you give this episode? Would you do you agree with our fans, or are you higher than our fans, or lower than our fans? I go higher than our fans. I'm going to say at least an eight point five. This is a good opening episode. Plus the fact, as you said, we can't forget we get all the crew members, but we get our first. I can't say villain, but we get our first alien of the of the series that we love and have loved through multiple series. We get our first case of John Delancey. Mm-hmm. And speaking of John Delancey, we're going to talk about him some more right now. We're going to talk about all Good Things, which was the series finale. And, of course, we have to play the promo first. The trial never ended, Captain. It's time to put an end to your trek through the stars. The past, the present, and the future are on a collision course. As Star Trek The Next Generation's epic series finale, All Good Things, comes to life on Blu-ray. I'm moving back and forth through time. And the fate of all mankind depends on one man. We don't have time for this. We have to save humanity. He's Jean-Luc Picard, and if he wants to go on one more mission, that's what we're going to do. Witness this unforgettable end to an incredible journey that won a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. We can't stay, Captain. We have to. Everything depends on it. This feature-length season finale has been painstakingly remastered from the original 35mm negatives to bring you unmatched picture-perfect quality. A lot of things can happen in 25 years. And for the first time ever, experience an all-new retrospective documentary featuring new interviews and archival behind-the-scenes footage. How can I etch yet another facet in this character so that the audience will go, oh, that was, there was something more with you. I was weary, and we came to the last episode, and I felt a sense of relief. 
We are not only had seven great years together. It was the beginning of the film franchise. We did four movies after that. Who gets that lucky? Plus, a new audio commentary with writer-producer duo Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga and never-before-seen deleted scenes. Why have you come here? We heard about the light. They told us about the power it has to heal illness, and we had to come here. Star Trek The Next Generation. All good things. Boldly go one last time with the spectacular series finale. Coming soon to Blu-ray. Goodbye, Jean-Luc. I'm going to miss you. But then again, all good things must come to an end. All Good Things is a series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. It comprises the 25th and 26th episodes of the 7th season and is the 177th and 178th episodes of the series overall. The title is derived from the expression, All Good Things Must Come to an End, a phrase used by the character Q during the episode itself. John DeLange returned for his recurring role as Q, former cast members Denise Crosby, whose regular character Tosh Yar had died in the first season, and who had made two guest appearances since, and Cole Meany, who had left the series during the sixth season, when his recurring character Miles O'Brien became a regular on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, reprised their roles for scenes set in the past. Both parts of All Good Things were first broadcast on May 21st, 1994, it received Nielsen ratings of 17.4%, placing it in first place in its time slot. This was the highest ratings received by any episode of the season and of the series. The previously highest rated broadcast of Star Trek The Next Generation had been the pilot episode, Encounter at Farpoint, with a Nielsen's rating of 15.7%. A behind-the-scenes retrospective document called Journeys End, the Saga of Star Trek The Next Generation, hosted by Jonathan Frakes, was filmed at the same time as the finale was being produced. I believe you can find that right now on Netflix. Um, contemporary reviews were positive. In 1994, USA Today called the two-part finale a picture-perfect ending to the series, giving it a three-and-a-half out of four-star rating. All Good Things won the 1995 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation and helped the show earn a 1994 Emmy nomination for Outstanding Drama Series. In 2015, The Hollywood Reporter noted this episode scene where Picard sits down at the card table as one of the top ten most stunning moments of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> in 2016, Radio Times raked the final scene the eighth best moment in Star Trek, noting Troy's line about Picard having been welcomed to join their traditional card game, and Picard's line, the sky's the limit, with the camera pulling away as the group, as the credits rolled. In 2016, Sci-Fi ranked All Good Things as the fourth best time travel plot of any Star Trek episode. In 2016, IGN ranked this as the seventh best episode of all Star Trek series prior to Star Trek Discovery. After and even during the time film shooting wrapped up for TNG, work was focused on the film Generations, which was released later that year in 1994. Meanwhile, a successor to TNG, Star Trek Voyager, was in development and was shooting by later in 1994 and aired in January of 1995 to launch the UPN network. The launched episode was one of the most expensive in TV history at $23 million and was watched by 21.3 million people. Charles, what did our fans think about 
all good things. Well, let's start out with Michael Sigari. Maybe the best episode of any TV series ever that's not named MASH. I agree with it. <laughs> it's number three on my all-time TNG list. The only truck show I have a top ten for. So he gave it a ten. David LeBron, one of my favorite TNG episodes, gave it a ten. Andreas Cesarius, excellent conclusion to a series can come full circle, giving it a 10. Top fan Teresa Azores, except for the weird Deanna Troy War Beauty and the Beast thing, all the way. Top fan Jonathan Perkins gave it a 10. Jacob Manduka. It is very overrated. You give it a five. Austin Chapman, if it's a masterpiece, giving it a ten. Bob McCrell gives it a nine. And Scott Song gives strong gives it a ten. Fan re- fan result is a nine point two. And what do you think, Charles? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. What did you think about what were your what did you think of what your some of your favorite moments in this episode, Charles? <clears throat> this originally it got a little confusing between the different the different time period as Seeing it years later, I think I was able to follow a lot easier. It was definitely interesting to look at the three different time periods. And you question how much of this was put together to design the card series. Because we do end up back at the vineyard with the card. And when I first heard the Picard teaser for season two, I thought that was a new line from John Delancey. Now I realize, no, it's not. This was actually taken from all good things in that quote. But that conversation that Picard and Q have at the end of the episode, I thought was very interesting. As you realize, Q's like, I'm still keeping an eye on you. And I think that may realize that's part of the reason he's coming back in season two of Picard. is because he's still out there keeping an eye on everybody. And I think that's somebody very important to him. But we realize in that ending episode, in that ending scene, that you has a very soft spot for Picard. And he's doing some extra things at the continuum that cause this challenge. But Q's going to try helping him to solve it. And I like the fact that Q's not... Q's going to sit there and try helping out as much as he can and still be Q. 
But we get a different, we get an interesting perspective, though in the third time period, don't look quite what we expect in Picard. They're not as aged as we think they are. But we always talked about this and thinking, okay, did they create a different time frame? And yet I think because these ships eventually get destroyed, they merge themselves into the same time period. These aren't alternate time frames. These are time frames that Q's created, but we're not going to be able to go back to them. Just as the Empress can't do the one spot in her time frame because it was just it was created specifically for specific point of time in one frame for Giorgio to go back. But definitely, definitely, I could see this worthy of watching it to be ready for Picard. And I have a feeling we may have to go back and re-look at this one again when season two comes out. That's how we tie in. But overall, definitely a good episode. I definitely. Definitely. How about how about you, Eric? What are, you, what are your thoughts on this episode? Oh man, I really like this episode. You know, relative to what you were just saying, Charles. Um, there's a quote. I don't remember who says it at the end of the episode where they say the anomaly didn't occur, so the future that occurred will not happen. So yeah, anybody who yeah. gets confused about kind of the future that we got versus the future we see in all good things, it's because of that. It's because the anomaly is not uh, not part of it. But, oh, man, all right, I'll just hit a couple of highlights here, my, some of my favorite parts and some of the things that I think are the coolest. So, first of all, I love when we meet Jordy that he has an awesome mustache, and I love that they made him an author because given LeVar Burton's connection to reading Rainbow, I always thought that it was really cool that Star Trek in the future makes him an author, which gives him that sort of reading connection. So that, that's a nice little... I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's the way that I've always read that um, that that thing about Jordy. Um, I love that uh, in the episode where Picard, it's in the time period in the future where Picard and uh, Beverly are talking to one another. Uh, he says uh, something like, or no, it's not in that time period. It's in the present time period. He says, something tells me you're going to have to put up with me for a long time to come. And that gives me a lot of hope that uh, we will – please, 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 please see Beverly Crusher in season two of Picard because I think of all of the characters that we haven't seen yet, she is the one that needs to come back. Uh, I mean, just, you know, such a strong connection to Picard. So would love to see that. I love that Data is a professor at Cambridge and that he puts the gray streak in his hair and that he's got a grumpy maid yeah. that takes care of him. <laughs> that just cracks me up. Um I love that in this episode, you know, we get that moment, uh, speaking of Picard and, uh, and Crusher, where he says, you know, he says, I prefer to look at the future as something which is not written in stone. A lot of things can happen in 25 years. And then what does Crusher do? She plants one on him, man. She kisses him good. And then she walks away and he kind of has this like little grin on his face like, hmm, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> uh, really <laughs> sweet, sweet moment. I love that. I love that we get to see Tomalak again because he's one of the most awesome Romulans out there. 
And, you know, Picard's like, hey, let's go do this thing where we both drive a ship over here. And Tomalak's like, has the Federation agreed to this? And Picard's like, no. And Tomalak's like, I like this plan. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's an awesome moment. Um, I love that we get to see Q as an old man. It actually got me thinking. Remember, he changes himself to an old man in the future time period so that he can relate yeah. to Picard on kind of this old man. So I wondered, like, will something like that be the way that they explain how John Delancey has aged uh, but is still Q? You know, they've obviously got a got to deal with that. The moment when the Enterprise D with Riker as captain comes in and just punches a hole through one of those Klingon cruisers. Oh my God. I remember standing up from my couch and just like screaming. Oh. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I, I guess the last thing I'll say is that um, I could not agree more that I think the very last scene is just, this is why TNG, in my opinion, has the absolute best last episode of any Star Trek series, because that moment when he goes in there and he becomes part of the game, and then he, he kind of voices his regret. He's like, I should have done this a long time ago. Seven years they've been together on this ship. Never has he joined them. And only at the very last minute does he say, gosh, I really should have done this. So maybe that's even a, yeah. a little turning point for Picard and kind of, you know, propels us a little bit into the Picard show. So I love, 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 love this episode. I will not give it a 10 because I think Measure of a Man is a 10, uh, but I will give this a 9.9 because it's phenomenal. Well, I think that um, seeing the Enterprise D with three warp engines was really cool. Seeing Admiral Riker show up save the day like he did in Star Trek Picard was awesome. And back to what you were saying, I think that the final scene where they're playing cards, there's a little bit more relevance to that in the fact that that was the first and only time that all of them were at the table together. Not just Picard, but all of them. We never got to see the entire crew together, including the captain, playing cards it was only four at a time and in this particular scene it was all of them and uh picard joins them and and as they're playing cards that shot of the enterprise flying away if you remember encounter at farpoint it's the exact opposite scene of the enterprise entering encounter at farpoint the very first time we see it and Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like okay, Encounter at Farpoint, here's the Enterprise dropping into the scene and, and, and giving us that flyover. Okay, well, here's the whole crew playing cards together, and here's the Enterprise leaving the scene the same way it entered and flying off to wherever. I loved it. I loved it. That, that, end, that end scene was just phenomenal. John Delancey, he's always phenomenal. What can you say? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Warp. Worf and uh, Riker being at odds over Deanna Troy and her, her death, which we didn't get to see. Um, and, and they're blaming each other. Uh, it was just a well-written episode, well-acted, well-done. And uh, the fans gave it a 9.2. I'm right there with them. I'm, I might even creep it up to a 9.5 myself. It was, it was that good. It, was, it, had, it brought a tear to my eye. It really did. I, I was, when I saw that final episode, just like I did when I saw McCoy show up on the Enterprise and encounter a far point, 
when they all got together and played cards and the Enterprise flew away, was, oh, it's all over. Oh. I was sad. It, it was awesome. So uh, that wraps up another show, guys. Can you believe it? We made it yet again. We did. Yeah. Yay. That was fun. But wait, there's more. Next week, we're going to be taking on, are you ready? It's been a long time in the coming. It's a long road getting from there to here. Deep mm-hmm. Space Nine. We're going to be talking about the emissary and what you leave behind. So all you Deep Space Nine fans out there, you don't want to miss next week's show. We're also going to have Star Trek news and Star Trek birthdays and Star Trek shout-outs. So it's going to be a lot of fun next week as well, like it always is. And uh, please head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Give us a like, give us a follow, tell us where you're listening from. And uh, before we run out of time, I have to say thank you so much to my Trek experts. Eric, thank you for hanging out and Trek Talking with us tonight. We couldn't do the show without you. Absolutely. It was a blast as always. Thank you guys so much. And, of course, thank you so much to uh, Charles. We couldn't do the show without you either, Charles. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. This was another fun show. And, of course, thank you to all you guys listening, wherever you may be. We couldn't do the show without you either, and we really, really appreciate your support. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. And, of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and uh, we couldn't do the show without me either. So thank you so much for joining us. And make sure you tune in on Sunday night to Stunt Trucks with myself and Leslie Hoffman. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about, but it's always fun. And I can promise you somehow we'll find a way to get Planet of the Apes into the conversation every single week we do. And I'm sure this week will be no different. So before that pretty lady tells me we're out of time and cuts us off, I have to say thank you and good night, everybody. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.